our scripture reading this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of God for us this morning. You may be seated. So last month, uh, my wife Linda and I had the opportunity to go to an Alpha conference in Santa Monica, California. And in middle of January, you know, when, the cold, when that cold spell was so bad, that cold snap here, and I thought, yeah, Santa Monica, I knew it was a tough assignment, but somebody had to do it, so I volunteered. It was great. And it was. We, we, uh, it just so happened it was scheduled right when the temperatures were plummeting below zero here, and it was going to be 60s there, and then we're going to come back, and it was going to be cold. And so we had this dilemma, mind you, a first world dilemma, and it is, how do you pack? Because it's really cold from here to the airport, and then when we get back to the airport in St. Louis, from there back to Cape Girardeau, it's going to be cold, because you only have so much stuff to pack with you, and uh, my wife takes most of the suitcase, so it's like, okay, for my little part, uh, she's not here this time, so I can get away with that, um, you know, what am I going to pack? So I had to make this decision, do I pack for there, do I pack for here? Paul, when he is writing this uh, letter to a young pastor named Timothy, he closes out this first letter of his with some instructions to Timothy about how to teach the people in his church about handling the resources and the money of this world. And he bookends this particular paragraph with two different eras. He begins by saying, command those who are rich in this present world. And then he goes to verse 19, and he talks about laying up a treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age. So there's this present world, and then there's this coming age. And Paul puts them in tension. And so which one do we live for? Which, which set of values do we live? The present age or the coming age? There's this contrast. And Paul is encouraging Timothy, teach the people in your church, teach the people under your charge to be mindful of the coming age and not to live for the values of this present age. And so um, what I consider that today is he speaks to the, the wealthy. And, and we pick up this theme in 1 Timothy 6. Last week, we kind of pick up where we left off, where Paul was giving some instructions to the Christian poor. And his theme was the, this beautiful thing called contentment. Um, we're in the middle of a series here that we're uh, calling Untangled. 
And it's based on a word that Paul gives to Timothy in his second letter when he said, uh, a, a soldier, a good soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs. So what does that look like for us as followers of Jesus? What does it look like for us as, uh, as Christians to not get entangled in civilian affairs? That's what this is about, especially as it pertains to handling the resources of this world. So um, last week I talked about staying out of the ditch and the dangers that are, that are found when it comes to money and material things. And today we'll talk about taking the high road. Well, first, before we talk about this road and the values that Paul encourages Timothy to teach, I think we have to start with this immediate question before us, and that is, does this even apply to me? Because he says, command those who are rich in this present world. I know some of you heard that, and you're thinking, go get them, Pastor Ron. You tell those wealthy people how to live, okay? You go get them. I'm so glad this one doesn't apply to me, so I'm just gonna check Facebook right here. You get them, Ron. You get them. Because, you know, I'm not wealthy. Well, wealth is a relative term. I get it. And it varies from one culture to the other. But if we want to look at the totality of this world, the global picture, where do we stand? There are almost 8 billion people on this planet now. Amazing. Almost 8 billion people. Uh, Where do you and I stand in relationship to them? Well, there's a website you can go to and plug in your compensation, your salary, and figure this out. It's a website called Giving What We Can, and uh, just type in your number. So we, I ran some scenarios, okay? And, and here's the first set I'd like to run for you and show you. Um, this is, so you just plug in the number. If you have a household income of $59,252, why did I pick that number? That is the median household income for people in Cape Girardeau County. Now, if you remember from math class, median is not average. Median means there's exactly half the people in our county make less than that, and exactly half the people make more than that. And so, boom, that's like right in the middle. So you can plug in any number of adults or children in the household. We use two adults and two children here. If you have the median household income in Cape Girardeau, $59,252, you are in the richest 14.1% of the global population. Your income is four and a half times higher than the global median. Well, let's say you gave 10% off of that. Uh, you would still be in the richest 15.7% of the global population, as you see. Well, what if you're, sing- you're a single adult, you have no children living with you, let's plug that number in, same median income. Look at what happens. You're in the richest 1.2% of the global population in the world your income is 18 times higher than the global median. Well, let's say your income's a little more modest than that. Here's a household, two adults, two children, and your income is 35,000. In today's economy in America, that's a pretty modest income. You are still in the richest, upper fourth, the richest fourth, the 23.1% of the global population. Your income's 2.7 times higher than the global median. Well, let's go on the other side of the spectrum. Let's say that your income just reaches six digits. Let's say you make 100,000, two adults, two children. You're in the richest 7% of the global population. So I ask, are we wealthy? One of the things we've learned down through the years when it comes to um, taking people to mission tri- on mission trips in, develop- in, in developing parts of the world is that you have to 
prepare them ahead of time and you really need to debrief after. Because seeing poverty, seeing how the rest of the world lives can be uh, a disorienting experience. I went to Africa, I did that. I mean, I'm sorry, I went to Mexico. And then in 2008, went to Africa for the first time. I was wrecked for weeks after that. Honestly, it was like in this, I was in a real state of disequilibrium because I saw just scores and scores and people living with nothing. And it messed with me. Friends, you realize how blessed we are. Um, we're wealthy. Paul's writing to us. This is for you. This is for me. And Jesus says, too much is given, much is required. So let's get to the values that Paul talks about in, um, in this passage. First thing he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. I don't know what it is, but sometimes when we have more money, we can look down on people who have less. They drive a, a car that's not as nice as ours. They live in a home or neighborhood that's not as nice as ours. We can look down and maybe you've been on the receiving end of that and you know what that is. And he says, command them not to be arrogant. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Wealth, so uncertain. Um, fortunately, in our country, it's been 80 years since we have had a wide-scale um, uh, experience with the uncertainty of wealth. Now, in any, any one person can have a tremendous financial setback, know what that's about, all right? But as a country, it's been 80 years since we've had a depression. I was raised by grandfather um, who was about, uh, four, he was in his 40s when the Great Depression hit. He, woke, he went to bed with money in the bank. He woke up and the banks were closed and all of his money was gone. Friends, do you know how many people down through the history of this world have gone to bed rich and woke up poor? A lot. It's uncertain. We've forgotten that because we have so many stop gaps. We have so many safety nets. We have so many things that kind of uh, cushion the blow, but the reality is wealth is uncertain. He says, instead, put your hope in God because God is the only one who will not disappoint. This is a theme that he has throughout his letter. Uh, listen to this in verse 10, chapter four. He says, that is why we labor and strive because we've put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. And then the next chapter, he has a special word for widows. Widows in that day had a very hard time to go. And he said, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Where's our hope? Where should it be? It should be in God who does not disappoint. So what is he really teaching here? He's teaching humility. If you have something, great, be grateful for that, but don't be arrogant. And remember that God provides. And then he says this, and I'm so glad he says this. He says, teach them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, you could get the impression, maybe, sometimes, that, that um, it's, it's wrong to have good things or wrong to have nice things. That's not what Paul says here. When he talks about, when he instructs Timothy how to teach the rich, he doesn't teach them to be 
uh, to feel bad about it. He doesn't teach them to give it all away. There was one time in, in Jesus' ministry when he instructed somebody to sell everything. That is not generally what he asked people to do. He, Paul doesn't ask them here. In fact, he says that God provides things for our enjoyment. It's okay if you have good things that you can enjoy that praise God. And as long as you give praise to God for that, Yesterday, Linda went up to St. Louis and I had to stay here. And uh, she went to one of our favorite bakeries and brought me back a chocolate-filled, almond-crusted croissant that was to die for, okay? And, and she gave that to me and, and I did say, oh, I'm too holy to eat this, I'm sorry. It's just too nice. <laughs> no, it was gone by six o'clock this morning, thank you. I enjoyed every bite, everything. Thank you, God, for chocolate croissants. It's a gift from God. Um, and today, Super Bowl. Go Chiefs? Yeah, go Chiefs. Yeah. A uh, lot of junk food. Man, we're gonna, we just pull out all the junk food because Lent starts Wednesday. We kind of clean up our act for a little bit, but we're going to enjoy all the bad food today. And we're going to give thanks to God for carbs and sugar and all of that good stuff. Richly provides. See, seriously though, as Christians, we believe the world is good. How does Genesis begin? Our Bible. God creates. And after every day of creation, he says, it's good. It was good. It was good. And at the end, it was very good. So to be, a, to be a Christian doesn't mean you have to feel bad about good things. It just means you have to have proper perspective and to put your hope in God. So he, he really is teaching us to, to be humble. He says that another way in, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says it this way. Oh, because here, I want you to notice, he says, who richly provides. Whoa, whoa, do you catch that? Who richly provides. Who is your provider? God. You may think and be tempted to believe it's your smarts, it's your hard work, it's your job. I've had discussions with people about this. No, the Bible teaches that everything belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. And that everything we have has been given to us as a gift from God. God is our provider, comes from him. And it all goes back to him. It all belongs to him. He provides. I said, I've had conversations with people through the years. And you say, Ron, I worked hard. I went to school for a lot of years and I've worked hard to, to, to get where I am today. Yeah, you have. And thank God that you have, uh, that God gave you a mind so you could study. And thank God that God gave you um, of a family who taught you good values around money. And thank God that he's given you health. And thank God that he's given you the ability to get up and go to work every day. And thank God you were born in this land of plenty. You notice God gave you everything. He gave you intellect. He gave your hands. He gave everything that allows you to earn an income. God is provider. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter four. What do you have that you did not receive. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? There's that arrogance thing again. Everything you have, you've received as a gracious gift from the loving hand of our creator. So he says, teach them humility. A fundamental bedrock foundational truth of this world is that it all belongs to God. As the hymn writer said, this is my father's world. So Paul says, teach him humility. And he goes on in verse 18. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Being in wealthy in this world means we have opportunities. My grandfather worked when he was a young man, six and seven days a week, 12 hours a day in the mines. He didn't have many opportunities. We have all kinds of opportunities to volunteer, to serve. And I'm, I'm so proud of the people of this church because you all are a serving bunch and I've seen it. It was a time a few years ago, it's like I ran into six or seven people who lead not-for-profits in our town that are doing good work, helping the poor and serving those in need. And in every one of the cases, they would tell me, oh yeah, so-and-so, member of your church, he's on our board. Or so-and-so, she's, she's been serving us for years on our, on our advisory board or whatever. As like, if there's a not-for-profit in town, somebody from LaCroix is serving because you just have that heart. Last, last um, a couple weeks ago, I got this report. This is our missions giving for 2023. And when I look at this, I just smile because you provided all of the resources here. We have, you know, we have 15 local partners and we've been able to bless them financially because of your giving. We have folks that work uh, with the homeless. We have folks that work uh, with, with uh, uh, children and teenagers and, and college students telling them about Jesus. We have uh, organizations that work with the poor and provide uh, basic necessities and help for them. We have organizations here in town that um, um, are there for folks who have addictions or those who want to adopt or those who want to foster. And, and you guys make that possible. And many of you serve in those organizations. I was looking at the list here. There, we, we serve 12 different missionaries around the world in Guatemala and Eswatini and uh, um, Thailand. We have a Cape Girardeau couple. They grew up here. They're serving in Thailand, telling people about Jesus, and we get to be one of their partners there. We have two couples that we support in predominantly Muslim countries. We can't tell you where they serve because it would put their lives in danger and their work could come to an end, but we serve them and help them and bless them because of your generosity. So teach them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And then he says, um, and to be generous and willing to share, to be generous. And really, he's just helping us here because it's a wonderfully good thing and a joyful thing to be able to give. Um, Paul pulls out one of the Jesus sayings about giving, and I'm so glad he does because it wasn't recorded in the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't have everything that Jesus taught and said. In fact, John said if everything that Jesus said would be recorded, the world wouldn't have enough room for all the books that could be printed. And so um, one of the things that Paul quotes from in one of his sermons was a word from Jesus when he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And you know that, don't you? You know there's something more joyful about giving than there is in receiving. He says, teach them to be generous. Now, uh, what does generosity look like? That can be a relative term. What is generous to you might not be generous to me. What your attitude is about generosity may not be the same. And so God kind of spells it out for it here. Over and again in the scriptures, we're taught about this concept of the tithe. The tithe means 10%. All right, and, and here's one such verse. This is in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. All right, and it says here, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. Only time in scripture we're ever told to test God. He says, you trust me with the first 10% and you see if I don't pour out 
this blessing. So what is, what is it? A tithe is, a, is a, a spiritual practice that teaches us and ingrains in us this beautiful thing called generosity. So Paul says to Timothy, he says, um, teach them to be humble, teach those who are wealthy to, be, um, to do good, and teach them to be generous. So those are the values. And if we're going and we're moving towards the coming age, how do we get there? How do we actually live this out? Well, uh, I, th- I think we're told. Look at, well, first, I want to look at this verse in, um, chapter, in, in I want to look at verse 19. Fascinating verse. In fact, this has caused a number of people to kind of scratch their heads and say, hmm, what is this really saying? It says here, in this way, they, the, the rich, will lay up treasures, treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, what he's doing here is he's, he's quoting basically Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter six. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever you give to is where your heart's gonna be. And that's why giving is so important as followers of Jesus because we want God to have our heart, not the things of this world. But what does he mean here? Lay up treasure in heaven. Honestly, can't say it. It's not spelled out exactly what that is. Now, let me be very clear what it's not. He's not saying that somehow by giving and giving more that you're gonna entitle yourself to go to heaven. That's not, at all, that's not the case at all. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Salvation is a gift given to us freely from the good hand of our, of our God through the, the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection for us. There's nothing we can do to earn, what, earn God's love. You've heard it said, you can't take it with you, right? We, last week we saw when Paul said, you came in this world naked, you leave from this world naked. You can't take it with you. But Paul is suggesting here, based on the teachings of Jesus, that you can send it on ahead. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means, really. I, but what I, I think at the heart of it means that every act of generosity will be remembered by God. And in that age, in that day, your generosity will, will mean something and matters. Um, to get there, though, how do, we, how do we get there? It's like anything else. It comes from practice. It comes from going into training. Let's go back to what Paul said here in the passage we looked at last week. Same chapter, just back a few verses. Verse 10 uh, and this is where he's laying down a warning about money. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's where we ended. But look what he says next. But you, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So he says to Timothy, man, yes, there's all kinds of traps in this world and money can grab your heart and money can be the root of all kinds of evil, the love of money. But here's the deal. You run from all of this. He says, flee those desires. And Okay, so that's the negative. Um, habits. 
I've been fascinated by the subject of habits for a long time. I read two books, um, I think it was about two or three years ago, one uh, by James Clear, he's a retired baseball player named Atomic Habits, and the other book is called uh, The Power of Habit. And both of these authors, like many of the others who write on the subject of habits, will tell us when it comes to habits, you can't just, by the force of willpower, stop doing something that's a bad habit. It's not a good strategy. If you try just to stop doing something bad, you'll be frustrated and you'll fall right back into it. It doesn't work that way. What do you gotta do? You gotta replace it with something positive. You take the bad habit and, and when that cue comes along to slip into that bad habit, instead you do the good thing. So he says, pursue, flee from that and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and so forth. And what is that for us? It's the habit of generosity. If you and I will become generous people, it's because we have trained ourselves to be this way. And that means week by week, month by month, year by year, we give to God the first of what we give, of what we've been given. We develop this habit of generosity. And it begins, and Christians have taught through the centuries that it's, it's tithing. It starts with tithing, where we give, tithe means 10th. We give the first 10% to God because we believe it belongs to him. And as we heard earlier, everything belongs to him, all of it. And that creates a generous spirit. There's something about doing that week after week, month after month, year after year, that, that just develops a generous spirit within you. Another thing I've been fascinated, because I love research, uh, is looking at the subject of generosity and who gives. There was a study done recently which confirmed a number, number, another, a number of other studies along the same line, and that was done by the Philanthropy Roundtable. This is a group of folks who study philanthropy, are giving to charitable causes across the country. And you know what they found? You know who the most generous people are in America? Let's say when it, uh, it, when it comes to um, a natural disaster, let's say there's a hurricane, blows through an area, you know, upsets a lot of things, just, you know, kills people, uh, destroys a lot of property, and American Red Cross gets there and other organizations and they want to help out. Who's the most likely to help out? Who's the most likely to give? Christians who are already tithe. You might say, well, that, that's kind of counterintuitive because you think if you're not a Christian and you don't really ha have that taught to you, you've got this war chest, right? You can give a whole lot of money over here because you, you, you're not tapped out like Christians. Christians are already tapped out because they're already given so much. But actually, the people who give the most in times like that are the folks who already their whole life have been taught to give. Yes, they give a tithe of the church and they give over and beyond that. And when there's a hurricane or when there's a need, they step up and say, yeah, I'll give to that because they're just giving people. Um, in fact, they, they looked at this by regions of the country. And interesting, in America, you, you, you know where you can tell where the most generous people are? It's where the church is the strongest and more Christians. Listen to this. It says here, um, measured by how much they share out of what they have available, the most generous Americans are not generally, generally those in high-income urban liberal states like California or Massachusetts. Rather, people living in states that are more rural, conservative, religious, and moderate in income are our most generous givers. And this is not a Christian organization. The other factor accounting for the high level of donations among low-income, now they're talking about low-income Americans, 
is that a significant minority of them are religious tithers who powerfully push up the group average through sacrificial giving. Only about a third of low-income individuals give any money at all in a year, but those who are givers tend to be extremely generous. Do you hear that? Among the lowest third income bracket in America, the people who give the most are Christians. Um, the, the good people of Boston, Massachusetts looked at the research and it really bothered them that Boston was in the lower third of giving in the country. Now you gotta say, Boston's got a lot of wealth, okay? It's a very well-to-do community. And yet the, the leaders were chagrined by the fact that their community did not, according to the research, um, give very much. And so they commissioned their own study to prove them wrong. And you know what they found? That's yeah, pretty much accurate. You know Why? Honestly, there aren't many Christians in Boston. Church is pretty weak there. Show me a county or a city where its church is strong, where there are a lot of Christians, and I'll show you a county or city that's very generous. You see, and it begins with the tithe. Tithing is this practice that, that just builds within us the muscles to give. And if Cape Girardeau ever needs giving, if there's an earthquake or something that happens here, I guarantee you, I can tell you right now who's gonna to come to our aid. It's gonna be fellow believers who will give generously to help us because they've been taught to give. Um, so Paul tells Timothy, okay, teach those who are rich to be humble. Teach them to do good and teach them to be generous. These are the values of the coming age. Now let's go back to where we began. Which age will you live in? The present age, which says your hope is found in how much money you make, how much money you've saved, and how much you have in retirement. Or the coming age that says, no, God is my provider. God richly provides for all that I have. He's my source. He's my provider. We're gonna live by that value. Which age are you going to live in? I'll give you a tip. It's whichever one you're looking at and giving your attention to. You learn this. It's funny, your body tends to go where your eyes go. You ever notice that? You ever been on a treadmill? I hate treadmills. You ever been on a treadmill and the TV, like, you're, you know, there's TV in front of you or maybe to your right, to your left, okay? Right, left. You ever notice that? And you're, and you're, and you're running and if it's over to your left, you just kind of start running that way? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I hate treadmills too. I don't do that. But here's driving. Okay. So if you're driving and you're, it's on a country road, beautiful day, and you know, you got the wind behind you and it's great. And you're going to a nice hairpin curve and over, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good curve. Tip, driving tip. Don't look in front of you. Look to where you're going. If you tend to look straight ahead, you might go into the, uh, in, in, into the guardrail. If you look ahead, that's where you go. Where are you looking? Your eyes fixed on Jesus and the coming age are now. It'll determine which way you go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, your, a challenging word, but a word that is just embedded with so much joy. This word of generosity. Because when, we, when we're generous, generous, we are never more like you. God, we acknowledge that you are our source, 
you are our provider? Not our jobs, not our government, not our, not our economy. You are our provider. Thank you. And thank you that you are a good God who loves to give to your people. So God, would you teach us through the practice of generosity and tithing to be like you, ready to share, ready to give, ready to help those in need, ready to serve your kingdom cause. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody, we hope you're doing great. We're so glad that you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We love you and we hope to see you again soon.